Um, some time ago, the, the staff team made a decision to set aside this Sunday um, of, a, of a new term to encourage people at Trinity to become more involved in the life of the church, basically to commit to serve in a whole variety of ways, whether that's um, kids to cafe, welcome to worship, uh, from tots to transport. And uh, you'll see on the cards that you were given as you came in um, that it highlights some of the areas of church life that people can get involved in. And there are other areas as well. And I think the first thing I want to say, uh, really, is thank you. Thank you to all those who give of their time and their talent in so many different ways to help make Trinity the church that it is today. As a vicar, I am humbled and hugely grateful to so many seen and unseen volunteers who serve here in a whole variety of ways. So thank you so, so much. And when I was thinking about today, initially I was going to speak from 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, and some of you might know that text. The Apostle Paul is writing to a church and he's basically saying that the church is like a body. It's made up of different parts, but each part relies upon the other to function well. And, and this text, as I was looking at it, was kind of brought alive to me when I had an, an appointment. I think it was on Wednesday at the ear, nose and throat consultant at the MSG. I've been struggling to swallow f my food. And as a precaution, my doctor sent me to the MSG to get my throat checked out. And I have to say, it was an amazing bodily experience. Not out of the body experience, but it was just incredible. The consultant stuck a camera up my nose, not, not like a big thing, a little thing, and, um, and then it went down my throat. Um, and you all know that I love to watch TV. I got told recently that if I want to become more enlightened, I need to watch less TV. So at the moment, I'm trying to work out what I'm really after in life. I've not reached my decision yet. Anyway, so I watched this whole procedure on this TV screen in front of me. And at that point, I was then introduced to parts of my body that I'd never really seen before. At uh, the back of my throat, my vocal cords, my epiglottis, my esophagus, uh, bodily parts uh, uh, that I hadn't seen, but they are essential. And it was quite an incredible experience. Has anyone had that done? So some of you know what that's like. And then, and then he wants it to go down further. And he's going, swallow, mm, swallow, mm. I just think, oh, this is not, not going to end well. Um, now, thankfully, uh, there's nothing um, wrong with me. Um, I, just don't, uh, I, don't, I just don't produce enough saliva, which is why I'm always chewing gum. I know that some of you just think I'm a bit of an oik, but that's why I chew gum. Um, there's one person in the deanery who doesn't like the fact I'm vice dean because I chew gum all the time. One day I'm going to tell her. Uh, but, but I was in that, in that um, consultant's room, I was kind of struck by Paul's analogy of the human body in 1 Corinthians 12 and, and the local church and about how everybody, every person has a part to play and we need everyone to play their part, whether that's seen or unseen. Um, like a lot of the, the you know, bits of my body that I came to see for the first time and that we need everyone to play their part so that the body of Christ is alive to God and flourishes. But after studying um, 1 Corinthians 12, I then sense his prompting to change the text to the one that we're looking at today. But I thought I'd talk about why I, what I was going to do, because I wanted to get that story in, because I'm sure you wanted to hear it. So we're looking today at Acts chapter 6, and Acts chapter 6 has this major focus on the importance of service and of serving one another in love within the local church. And so I started to study this text on Thursday, and, and then I heard the news about the Queen's health, 
uh, and then, sadly, her death on Thursday evening. And since that time, I think we'll all agree that the world has changed. Her death is a significant event, and the Queen was a significant person. I was chatting to someone the other day about the significance of the Queen, and I said to them, I said, tell me, what is the name of the King of Belgium? Not a clue, not a clue. Uh, but actually, Queen of England, people have a very different view. And I've been reflecting on the life of the Queen over these past few days. Oh, his name's Philippe, by the way, just in case you wanted to know. Um, and, and one thing that I've been struck by is her life of service to others and her life of service to Christ. And some of that was seen, but much of it, I would imagine, is unseen. At the age of 21, I think when she was in Cape Town, she made a promise then to the nation and commonwealth and said this, I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service. 74 years later, she kind of came back to that same theme when she wrote her Platinum Jubilee letter. And uh, in the final paragraph, it opened these, with these words. And so I, your queen, look forward to continuing to serve you with all my heart. She was 95. And she ended that letter with the most concise, I think, of self-descriptions, your servant, Elizabeth R. And I think um, many of us have, have watched her Christmas broadcasts over the years, and they give us a sense, I think, of the Queen's faith. And I think it's clear that Christ, the one who is a servant king, lays at the heart of her own faith and life. In 2012, she said this, and it's Christmas, obviously, this is the time of year when we remember that God sent his only son, and then she quotes the scriptures, to serve and not to be served. He restored love and service to the center of our lives in the person of Jesus Christ. But go back even further to 1980, she said this. Now, this is quite significant, I think. In difficult times, we may be tempted to find excuses for self-indulgence and to wash our hands of responsibility. Christmas, the nativity, stands for the opposite. We need to go out and look for opportunities to help those less fortunate than ourselves, even if that service demands sacrifice. And, and the Queen's faith, that living trust in Jesus, I think compelled her time and time again to give credit to her saviour, Jesus, the one whose servant heart and servant example, I think, was an inspiration to her that she then sought to mirror in who she was and what she did. The queen, I've come to the conclusion, was a servant queen who throughout her life served the servant king, Jesus. And so in thinking about today, I think it's entirely appropriate for us to focus actually on how each one of us can serve in the life of this local church when we are gathered. You know that we often talk about churches having two states. We are, we are the church gathered when we gather together on a Sunday and maybe in small groups throughout the week. Um, but we're also the church scattered. And, and wherever you find yourself tomorrow morning, you are still the church. It's not about a building. It's about being part of a community. You're the church scattered. But what we want to think about today is to focus on serving in the gathered church. And service, as the Queen rightly points out, demands sacrifice. But we serve not because the vicar tells us to, but we serve because we follow after the servant king, Jesus. And I think within that, it's important that, as the queen said, that we don't become self-indulgent, that we don't wash our hands 
of responsibility in the life of the local church. But actually, we look at ways in which we can make a difference in the gathered church. And, uh, and today, that's what we're going to focus on. And, and in many ways, you could argue that actually the servant king, Jesus, and the servant queen, Elizabeth, are our inspiration. Let's watch a little video uh, about um, a volunteer in the life of our church, and then uh, I'll pray, then we look at this text together. So can we play that, that video, Julian? Thank you to Kaylee for that, and, and many others who serve so willingly in Trinity Kids. And if you want to join that team, please do. And I, I would say, if you're a parent, grandparent, or carer of someone in Trinity Kids, then maybe think about serving just every six weeks as a helper, which works out, given the holidays, about seven times a year. And uh, if you're able to do that, we'd love to hear from you, because just that in itself would make all the difference to that team. So let's pray as we look at Acts chapter 6. So Father, we pray uh, that you might encourage and inspire us as we think about this story 2,000 years ago uh, that took place in Jerusalem. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've got that text in front of you, verses 1 to 7, uh, what's going on here and how might this story of the early church kind of intersect with our story here today at Trinity? Well, if you look in verse 1, there's a problem. Uh, what church doesn't have a problem? But their problem was that the, uh, the number of disciples was growing. That's not often um, the problem you hear about. But it's a great problem for any church to have. Now, we don't know what was causing the growth, but we can assume, if you go back to Acts 2, Acts 2.47, it says that the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved, that that had continued. And so it's likely that the church at this point numbers um, in, in the thousands. And, uh, but because of this problem of growth, there's some grumbling going on in the church. Nothing new there, you might say. Uh, and in verse 1, it says that the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so what was happening in this community, um, and you kind of think this would never happen in a church, but there's a bit of a bust up between the Grecian or the Hellenistic Jews whose language and culture was Greek and also the Hebraic Jews whose language was Aramaic. And this bust up came about because the church was taking seriously a verse from the Old Testament. And it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 10. It says this, God defends the cause of the fatherless and widow, talk, looking at Sue, because this has inspired her, and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And basically, based on this verse, the early church had put together a social welfare program, looking out for widows and orphans. And the Greek Jews were hacked off with the Hebraic Jews because the Greek Jews were being left out in the daily distribution of food to the fatherless and the widows in the early church community. And so what happens is, is that there's some grumbling. And this grumbling reaches the ears of the church leadership. Just so you know, whatever you say, I will hear. It always comes back to me. <clears throat> and so the leadership were 12 disciples or apostles. And, and the leadership called a meeting of all 
of the disciples. And basically, uh, they point out that because the church has grown, if you look at the beginning of Acts, from 120 people from the day of Pentecost to about 5,000, then they need to organize this church life differently. Um, The practice up to that point was that those in the church, um, in response to the generosity of God, would bring their gifts to God. And they would bring their gifts probably to the 12 apostles and lay their gifts at the feet of the 12 apostles. And they would then use that for things like feeding widows and orphans. If you want to know what that looks like, you go back to Acts chapter 4 and it says, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, bought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was then distributed to anyone who had need. I wonder whether their housing market was the same as ours. If it was, it would make any treasurer very, very happy. Um, That was the system. But because of this problem of growth, the apostles needed then to change how things were organized because they just didn't have the time to administer the gifts that were coming for the widows and orphans and to wait on the tables and to do their teaching and preaching. And so what happens is, is that because they didn't have the time, these Greek widows were being overlooked. They kind of fall through the cracks. And so what they do as a result of the church meeting that they bring together, it says in verse 2, the apostles said this, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word, teaching and preaching, in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, when you read that at first glance, you could think that the 12 apostles were basically being a bit snooty and that they were saying, look, we are the leaders, you know, we're the ones who hung around with Jesus for three years. And so waiting on tables for widows and orphans is a bit beneath us. So we're going to get someone else to do it so we don't have to. But I don't think that that is what this text is saying. There's no hint in this text from Acts chapter 6 that the apostles regarded what we might call social welfare ministry as being beneath them. You know, they'd actually been involved in it right up until that point. They'd been waiting on tables. And they were the ones who learned first from the servant king, the Lord Jesus. But I think what they realized here as a result of this grumbling and this church meeting is basically they just can't do everything. And if they try and do everything, then those in need will fall through the cracks. And I think at this point, it seems as if um, the 12 apostles have this revelation that their primary calling um, after being with Jesus was actually to preach the word of God to the church and beyond. Uh, That, for the apostles, was what they were called to at that time. And I think they also recognized that, that, that the early church and what was going on wasn't just about them doing the stuff, that there were many other people within that church who had gifts and who were willing to serve. And in some ways, what was happening here uh, was like an embodiment of what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, where the church is like a body and every part has a part to play. So what we find is that there's this grumbling, there's a church meeting, there's a divine wisdom of the apostles. Seven men were then appointed to serve at the tables for the widows and orphans. And over time, these seven men became known as deacons, which comes from the Greek word uh, diaconia. And diaconia basically means to serve or to minister. 
But in this text, actually, we find that that same Greek word, diakonia, is used not just for serving at tables, but it's also used for serving others with the word of God, the teaching and the preaching of the scriptures. And so what we find is both the seven deacons and the 12 apostles were called to minister or to serve, but they did it in very different ways. One way wasn't better than another. Serving widows and orphans and serving by preaching uh, the scriptures were both valid and important in the life of that church. Neither ministry was inferior to the other. They both needed, as you see from this text, spirit-filled disciples who were full of wisdom. Um, One commentator on this text who has the lovely name of Loveday Alexander, she wrote that the apostles were effectively saying to the wider church, look, this isn't our church. It's yours too. And it's just as much your responsibility as ours to be open to the Spirit's guidance and responsive to the needs of the church and the world. And what we then find happens in verse 7 as a result of recognizing that God calls all his people to ministry or to serve to diakonos is that um, the word of God, it says, continued to spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. So what we find in this text is that the church grew. And I think one of the reasons why that happened was that amongst that leadership, and don't forget they were just kind of starting out on this thing, was this, real, this realization that all Christians are served, are, are called to serve, are called to ministry, are called to diaconia. And we do that because we are followers of Jesus, the one who is a servant king. So that was then, back 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. This is now. How might this story in Acts intersect with our story here in Trinity at this time? Well, firstly, let me just, I'll just point out a few things. Whilst not on the same kind of scale, my observation is, is, that, is that we as a church are growing numerically. We are seeing people join us as they move to the island. We are seeing people join us as they come from other churches, but they find themselves in a new season or chapter of life. And we find that people are coming to church for the first time as they are putting their faith in the Lord Jesus. Why are we growing? I don't really know. There's no grand scheme or plan. We're not doing much now that is different from before but I'm comforted and encouraged by words from Zechariah the prophet where he says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. I think what we are seeing is a work of the spirit. And you can't drum that kind of thing up. It's down to the sovereignty of God. Now, within all that, we find that some people are leaving us. Often, Not always, but often in response to the call of the Spirit. God is moving them to new situations. And it's not always easy when that happens, but we trust Christ to provide when it does. And I think what we're finding then is that as we are growing, that there is extra pressure on teams and leaders in various areas of ministry or service within the life of the church, whether it be kids or youth or worship or hospitality, just to name a few. Um, I would say, though, that even though there is that extra pressure, the good thing 
is uh, part of the culture of Trinity, which has been built up over many generations, is that we aren't, on the whole, a grumbling church like they were in Acts. You know, there can be a situation where you will go to um, an area and there are two churches that are very similar, same kind of demographic, and one church is very easygoing, kind of goes with the flow, and another church, all they do is grumble and bitch. Can I use that word? (laughs) But they do. And... um, Uh, but but it's all about the spirit of the place not the holy spirit it's about the spirit of the place and and i'm grateful that over the years a culture has built up in trinity uh, whereby we're not a church that grumbles a lot we do a bit but we don't grumble lots you know you can go to a church down the road and they grumble all the time but i'm grateful that actually We're not a grumbling church. But I am aware that there are a number of people, staff and volunteers, who are feeling the strain of growth. And so, like the apostles in Acts 6, the leadership at Trinity have recognized that we need to encourage more people to minister or serve in different areas in the life of the church. But we're not just asking people to serve so we can keep the show on the road but we're asking people to serve because Jesus calls us to make and grow disciples of Christ. That is the bigger vision of what we do here at Trinity. We're all about the Great Commission, about going into the world and making disciples of all nations, as Jesus said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're all about the Great Commandment in Luke 22, where Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, we recognize that love, as found in 1 Corinthians 13, is the mark of Christian maturity. And so we're encouraging uh, us as a church to, to make and grow disciples of Christ. That is our bigger vision, and we want everyone to be a part of that and serve in ways that can make a difference in terms of making and growing disciples. I'm reminded of a story, I I, I don't know if it really happened, but it's a good anecdote, that picks up the idea that even the seemingly insignificant things that we do make a difference. Apparently, during a visit to the NASA Space Center in 1962, President John F. Kennedy noticed a janitor carrying a broom. He interrupted his tour, walked over to the man and said, hello, I'm Jack Kennedy, what are you doing? Well, Mr. President, the janitor responded, I'm helping put a man on the moon. In sweeping the floors, this man was helping put a man on the moon. In serving in Trinity Kids, you are helping to make and grow disciples. So we finish at where we started. The servant queen who served the servant king Jesus throughout her long life said this, In difficult times, we may be tempted to find excuses for self-indulgence and to wash our hands of responsibility. We need to go and look for opportunities to serve, even if that service demands sacrifice. And just to paraphrase that theologian, Loveday Alexander, who was paraphrasing in many ways the 12 apostles, says this, this isn't my church 
it's yours too. And it's just as much your responsibility as mine to be open to the Spirit's guidance and responsive to the needs of this church at this time of growth and need. Shall we pray? Father, we pray that your Spirit would be at work in our hearts and minds as we think about our place in the life of this church. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so there's a response. What happens next? Uh, now you've been inspired by a rousing sermon or not. Uh, <laughs> some of you clearly weren't. Uh, in a moment, we're just going to have a moment of silence and allow the Spirit, it's a work of the Spirit, to be at work in hearts and minds. And I'd invite you, whilst you do that, take a look at this card. And uh, got the lovely Joel on front. And, uh, and basically, this card is called Ways in Which You Can Make a Difference. And you can respond in one of three ways. You can do nothing. And that may well be how God is coming to you at this time. And that's okay. Um, after the service, you can go into the center. Uh, we've got some tables set up for various areas of ministry. There are, um, there are pictures above each table that indicate which one is which. Uh, you get free cake and chocolate and talk to one of the leaders involved in that particular area of ministry and find out a bit more about how you might be able to serve. Or you could take a look at this, uh, tick an area on the card, put your details on and pop it in the offertory box at the back or give it to a leader next door. But let's just be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Father, we pray that you'd help each one of us to be involved in the life of this church so that we might, might play our part in making and growing disciples of Jesus Christ. And we ask that in his name. Amen. Amen. Would you like to stand? <clears throat> in just a moment, we're going to take bread and wine as we remember the servant king, Jesus, who gave his life as a ransom for many. But shall we, uh, as we prepare ourselves for that, sing together?